0: Welcome to the Calgary Sessions. This is episode number seventy-seven. Uh, I'm your host, Jeff Humphreys. Today's guest. Um, I was just saying off air. I've been a sports guy my entire life, so this this name has weight in my world. So uh, this is going to be a fun conversation. So, name and who you are.
1: Uh, Jesse Lumsden. Who I am. That's that's a tough. I'm trying to figure that out for myself. <laughs> and it's what's really
0: interesting. So I had I had a. Um, a gal in here, Candice Ward, a photographer. So she shoots for the stamps, um, roughnecks, mm-hmm. flames. And I asked, and I had a different question when she came on. Yeah. Before her, I said, like, tell me what you're up to. And she's like, what I'm up to? She's yeah. like, no, no. She's like, who who I am? Yeah. And that's so, she was like 20 episodes ago. So now that's kind of how I ask. And that response
1: gets very interesting. It does. And, you know, I think I've lived a lot of lives. So who I am changes you know, daily. Mm -hmm. And it's, interestingly enough, um, you know, I've come across, uh, and it's becoming more and more, I wouldn't say mainstream, but more discussed, but um, I have a friend who's a facilitator at an ayahuasca retreat, and uh, a lot of what he has talked to me about and friends who, I know friends who have gone and experienced this firsthand is that's the big question, right? And especially in a world like today, and I can't really compare it how it used to be when I wasn't around, but it just seems as though the way the world works now, um, who you are and what you show people is can be, can be two very, very different things. For sure. And it becomes now magnified because of our little black mirrors that we carry around with us. So mm-hmm. who I am right now is a guy trying to figure it out that's retired from two different careers onto another and has two young kids under his wings uh, trying to do his best to raise contributing members of society. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Which is like, dude, that's why I love, I love sitting down with athlete, athletes and I am, um, because I love the conversation when, it, when it's over, that, mm-hmm. that transition. And, you know, it's just from uh, Olympians to pro athletes. I think that that discussion around when it, when it ends mm-hmm. and then finding
1: your who. It's hard. Yeah. Because it's, it's 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 very easy to get wrapped up. Uh, being an Olympic athlete or being a professional athlete is is not like any other career. It's rooted in what you do and what you're supposed to do as a child, which is play. And then you are fortunate enough to get to carry that into an, a, a space that allows you to earn a living. In some sports, it's a much better living than others uh, from the CFL, which was... A fine wage. Don't get me wrong. Yep. It's not like professional sport on the international stage of, you know, MLS or not MLS, but uh, you know, um, Champions League or NFL or NHL or anything like that. Mm. But to get paid, to get a paycheck to play football was my dream as a kid. Yep. Uh, so I never really complained too much about you know how many zeros were on it. Uh, and then going to back to amateur sport, where it is really government carding prize money and sponsorship money mm-hmm. which is how you you earn your keep but either way it's the opportunity to do to collect those checks to do what we all grew up doing as a kid which is tobogganing playing playing mm-hmm. backyard football and mm-hmm. catching stuff like that and uh that is the dream so you it's easy to get tied up your identity to get tied up into that because it has such a close connection to what you loved doing at such a young age yeah um And it's hard to then, and not to too far veer too far off, especially with Olympic athletes where you have athletes that start at the international level pre-high school in Mm -hmm. some sports, Mm -hmm. um, come to an end of a career with all these learned skills uh, and really no idea how to apply them into something else. So the COC and Game Plan, which are um, COC, Can Olympic Committee, and Game Plan, which is an initiative to support athletes in their transition out of sports to help identify those things. Because mm. when it's over, it's like, now what? Well, who am I? Well, I'm, a, I'm an athlete that may or may not have won a medal. And just because you come out on top, I never won an Olympic medal. Does not make that transition any easier? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be harder mm-hmm. because there's certain expectations that you may have put upon yourself or other people have put up on you. Yep. Um, what it's supposed to be like after you become a world champion, Olympic champion. Uh, in the States, it's different. Yep. Uh, the market is different. In Canada, it's different, it's smaller. Yep. You know, There's not too many superstars out there that come from the Olympic world. And you can name, you could probably name most of them, which are the household figures on one hand, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tessa Virtues and Scott Moyers, mm-hmm. Haley Wickenheiser, um, just to name just a, yep. c- a couple quick ones. But. Yep. So it's, I think the big thing becomes then at such a young age, um, figuring out who you are is very, very important. Mm-hmm. And what, because it's never, and, and then what you do is second to that. And what you do is I've come to the realization it's never going to be as good as it was because, again, I got to play. Dude. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you, you, you have to be, you know, use what you learned, which is all sorts of attributes and all sorts yep. of skills like courage. Yep. And you got to be courageous to try something else mm-hmm. and then just give it on a shot. Yep. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out because it's okay. Yep. So it uh, it it is an interesting question, and that was a big rabbit hole we went down to kick things off. No, but, but
0: dude, that's why that's why I find I find the show so interesting is because you just get into it, and mm-hmm. I think and I think these, what I was going to ask you is, are these discussions being um, had with athletes? You know, when you were growing up, you know, just, were people talking to you about like? You may not see what you're learning, but you're learning all these wild things. And when it does end, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to go through this and potentially might, you know, things might happen. Are those open discussions or is it like these COC programs that are going to actually maybe facilitate them?
1: I think uh, so game plan runs uh, activations all throughout the year, especially after the Olympics, where that hard line of what the heck do I do now with my life Mm -hmm. becomes very, very real. I remember having, taking meetings when I was playing with the cats. so I was in my mid-20s and I had a degree in geography, and environmental science that I had planned on not using a single day in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but having conversations with people in Hamilton, in the professional community about yep. about this, but yep. I was too caught up in the moment. Yep. And I think that's probably consistent across 99% of people. Mm-hmm. There's a few out there that understand that this moment is fleeting and it's not going to be around. Yep. It wasn't really until I had signed with the Edmonton Eskimos and then I had blew my shoulder out in the first game of the season, which was the a shoulder injury that it put me out the previous two seasons as well. Uh, and that's when I had just, prior to that season, so this happened in June, July, in February I was touching a bobsled for the first time. Mm. And the plan in place was go to Edmonton. I'd sign with him as a free agent, finish the season, win the Grey Cup, then go win an Olympic medal. Dude, the plan was good. It was a great <laughs> plan. And then it all went to shit real quick. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, lessons in life you know, from coaches, and I, I repeat this a lot, uh, a coach had said, you're allowed to feel sorry for yourself for 24 hours. And it's time to pick yourself back up and figure out what's next. <laughs> and it was more around a, a football game, but yep. it trans—it it, it resonates with a lot of different things. Yep. So cried a lot of tears that night and woke woke up the next day. Said if I want to make an Olympic team, in it's July and the Olympics are in February, I got some work to do. And we got to work. I was uh, on the table getting operated on a week later. I was spending my time back and forth in Calgary. It really. It really, that moment though, is what was the kick in the butt to make me realize that this doesn't last forever. Mm. And once I had sunsetted the football career, then it became bobsleigh yep. and free time on how to start getting myself ready for what's after bobsleigh. Mm. So it took a kick in the ass. Yep. Uh, otherwise, I'm not sure you know well, mm. how long it would have taken me. Yep. Like other athletes, it just, when I was going to my last Olympics, I, was, I had a job. Mm. Uh, I had a career set up and a five year plan around it. So, mm. but I, I had to get my ass kicked to, yep. to put that to in react. place. Yeah. So cool,
0: man. I, yeah. I talk, like I said earlier, I love talking to athletes. This is like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I was never a pro, but I just like the psyche behind it. It's just fascinating. Um, so the gist of the show is you and I have already gone off on a tangent, which is awesome. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, it's great. That's why I love this. Um, but I like the guests to go back and kind of tell their story. Where they grew up, how they grew up. Sure. You know, what inspired you? You know, how your parents kind of kind of pushed you along, and then mm-hmm. we'll kind of weave our way to uh where you are today.
1: Sure. I was born in Edmonton. My dad played professional football for the Eskimos and won three great cups in the eighties when they were on their five no dynasty way. trip. Yep. Uh was Warren Boone like Warren Moon was there for part of it. Okay. Tom Wilkinson, uh, Brian Kelly. Yep. Um didn't spend much time in Edmonton. I think uh we had left. He had retired in eighty four. Due to an injury, and then we were in Toronto for a year, Ottawa for a year. He was the manage, general manager of um, the Rough Rider, Ottawa Rough Riders. Yep. And then got the gig for the GM role uh, in Hamilton, and so we moved to Burlington, which is about 25 minutes from from Hamilton, and that's where the f- formative years of my life was spent. Mm. You know, moved there, grade six, so went through high school there. Yep. Um, played football in Ottawa as a tyke. And Did
0: you have it? Was there was there even like a, a choice? You know, with your dad being a football, I'm treated
1: like it was risk resistance for me to play football,
0: just because of what just, you're looking at.
1: Yeah, just like it, it's it was one of those things that I think it was always my choice on what I wanted to do when I played football at a really really young age. Well, I, I my dad coached the I believe it was the mosquito age group, and this is when Jesse Palmer was playing in Ottawa for the Myers Riders. And there wasn't a, a division for seven-year-olds, so I practiced with the team. I never, I was, I wasn't allowed to play, but I practiced with them. That was my first exposure to football. Hmm. And the next year, they in, introduced the Tyke group, which is eight, eight and up. Yep. And I played one year, and then my parents pulled me out, and they said, "Okay, you can play again when you go to high school if you want, but other than that, hockey, soccer, whatever you want, just hmm. not football." Yep. So, pardon me. Mm-hmm. So it takes me to high school, the first thing I do is sign up for football. J- just, just because? I loved it. Yeah. I loved the sport. Mm. I, I, I used to, uh, you know, Sunday NFL football. Mm. That was my jam on Fox. I liked the Fox crew. <laughs> I wasn't a huge fan of the ESPN crew. Yeah. I like the Fox crew. Who was on Fox then? It's still Terry Bradshaw, He's still there. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Looking like he's 80. Yeah. He looked the same back then, too. So uh, who else is on the panel? I just remember. Just these characters. Yeah, I remember Terry big time. Yep. But. Jim Brown? No. um, I can't remember. Either way, it was just a very, they were more animated. They had more fun. Uh, Probably because a few of them were former players themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I went to Nelson High School, um, signed up for the junior football team. My coach, um, I just forgot his last (laughs) name, and I can picture him. Nick is his first name, and I would never call him Nick to his face. Coach. Coach. Yeah. Used to joke with me that I was like this ugly duckling, probably because I was tall, awkward, lanky, uh, but he always kept saying someday you're going to turn into this white swan kid. You're going to, and no way. never really thought anything about it, but it was, um, he could see joked it about it. Uh, maybe he did, or maybe, you know, he knew my pedigree too. So yep. there's big shoes to fill. And yep. when I did come into the high school scene, it was, uh, everybody knew. That name has some weight. It had some weight yep. for sure. Yep. Um, never really bothered me either. Uh, cause I was just really having a lot of fun.
0: Were you doing other sorry before um no, it's okay. um before you get to high school, are you playing every other sport? Hockey, you, I played I, a lot of
1: hockey. And good at it? Like, I was you, pretty good at it, yeah. but I was never passionate about it. Uh, I played double A comfortably. Okay. I I dreaded going to triple A tryouts. Hmm. Because if I had applied if I had applied myself to hockey as I did with football, yep. um could have done some damage? Maybe. I mean you never really oh, I'm yeah. not gonna be the guy to say I would have yeah, been yeah, in the yeah. show. Yeah. But it uh, it would have been interesting to see. Mm-hmm. An interesting experiment, for right. sure. Uh, so I really enjoyed... My dad coached hockey, and he loved hockey. Never... I haven't watched a hockey game in I don't know how long. Do we? It, it's just... I love playing. I still play pickup once in a while. You do? Yeah.
0: With some buddies? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. There's a, there. a team, I,
1: I'm, a, I'm a spare this year just because life's busy, but yeah. we have a team called the Press Box Kings. <laughs> it's in, it's at the COP League and it's a bunch of ex-Olympians. And oh, no way. It's guys like Gilmore Jr. who grew mm-hmm. up playing hockey, then mm-hmm. transitioned into speed skating, and Ben Hebert, who's got a curler, who's got real good hands, Crazy. to guys who have never played before. Mm. So it's fun that way. Yep. Um, so I played a lot of hockey, played soccer, softball, baseball, just kind of everything. Yep. But I knew, like, literally day one, high school. You knew exactly what was going to happen. Go find the junior football <laughs> sheet, put my name <laughs> on the list, show up for equipment check, get yep. it going, and then, and, and away off, and, off to the races. And tell
0: your parents, hey, I'm signed up. And oh, like, yeah. And there's, they're like, okay, we yeah.
1: that's what the plan was, Yeah, the, the rule was. That was the rule, so hmm, I was following it. What do you think the um, – have you asked them? Or do you know why they – Put that in place. I think they just wanted me to expose me to other sports. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we're seeing now, and I have a number of friends who play played professional hockey, and they experienced the same thing. And the same thing as Wayne Gretzky went through. Played hockey, loved hockey. Hockey season's over. He couldn't wait to get his baseball glove on. Yeah. And we're in a world now where they people believe that you need to have such focus. But the problem is, is that focus can be severely detrimental to. Not only the development of the athlete, but the the athlete's ability to enjoy what they're doing. Uh, Make really, really, really good athletes as kids. Get them playing Mm -hmm. and exposed to movement and exposed to different scenarios and environments. That you know, and then if they choose to go back to something at an appropriate time, and there's a time and an age for everything. You might miss a window, but you can also be too early for that window. They're much more developed. Cognitively, mm-hmm. physically, yeah. they're able to just understand things better, move better. It's going to allow them to be a better athlete within the realm of uh, spec- specification.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, and that's an interesting conversation. So th- this year I, uh, I coached my nephew. Yeah. Uh, he's U9 uh, hockey. Yep. For Trails West. And, it's, and I, grew up kind of, I grew up playing hockey. And back then it was, it was always the same, to your point, when hockey's over, it's over. It's and, the, and there was this, like this giant off season yep. and all these youngsters right now, these like eight year olds, you know, these, the discussion around the rink is, <clears throat> well, he's going to play spring hockey and then do camps all summer. And it turned, and at like nine years old,
1: yeah,
0: you know, you know what the stat is. Nobody's going pro, no, nothing, it's not happening. No. And there it is. It's like an 11 month hockey life. Yep.
1: Which, which leads to burnout on a lot of kids real yep. quick. Yep. There's a lot of things you can do to get better at hockey without playing hockey mm-hmm. at that age. For sure. Um, so
0: football, so you're football. the, so the the co- ugly duckling. Co- coaches, coach, yeah, coaches on you, yeah. the white swan. And then, uh, yeah. what starts the ugly happen? duckling? The ugly. <laughs> uh,
1: I was playing, I was grade nine, uh, and junior was grade nine, 10 and 11. And back when I was in high school, we had in Ontario, we had OEC as well, which is grade 13. OEC oh, yeah. was meant to be like a prep year going into university. Yeah. So I had five years of high school, uh, Played grade nine and 10 at Nelson, and then the Halton board uh, went on strike. So I got the opportunity to get a scholarship to go to a private school for a year, um, Hmm. Trinity, in Hmm. Port Hope, Ontario, and got there. And skipped junior, went and played senior in grade 11. Just good enough? I guess so. Yep. Uh, So don't really remember much about that season, to be honest with you. Hmm. It wasn't great. I uh, played hockey for the, the school as well. It's probably one of the best hockey years I've had. <laughs> I just led this team in scoring that year. No way. Yeah. Yeah. No, in points. Sorry, not yeah, scoring in yeah. points. But uh, you know, a really interesting experience. But I, I don't I didn't I I never really felt like I fit in anywhere mm. in high school. Um I my good my best friends were non athletes <laughs> and um, you know, I I was kind of like just the normal guy. To, to give you the example, here's the example. So I leave grade, I grade nine and grade ten. and I have a really good core group of friends, and I'm very fortunate for the friends that I have. And I'm still dear friends with them today. And my parents have always said, you like the friends that you have had throughout your life are amazing people. And um, they knew I went away to private school for a year. But when I went, when I came back, because it was one year, I was like, I. I told my folks, I had the scholarship for the one year, but then there, there was going to be money and it's, it was a lot of money and I wasn't enjoying it as much yep. enough to for my parents to be forking over that kind of cash. Mm-hmm. So I get back and people were like, I didn't see around much last year. So yeah, I wasn't here. So it just goes like, that's kind of, mm-hmm. but during that year, that was in 1998, fun enough you say that, when you're like, what happened in
0: 1998?
1: <laughs> so random. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, I was a tall lanky kid yep. at 16 years old. I had my ears surgically pinned back before going away to private school because they stuck out a lot. No and way. it was the last year that OHIP would cover that type of surgery because it's technically plastic. Okay. Uh it's a part of the plastics um category. And I started working out, started lifting weights, and I grew into myself and I came back a definitely a different person <laughs> and carried myself differently mm-hmm. and uh, that's when I had made the decision and started to have the confidence that I'm going to go play professional football. And mm-hmm. I and started to formulate a plan to actually do that.
0: No way. And do, do you think it was, um, you know, besides having the passion for it, mm-hmm. growing up around it, does it feel more realistic? Is there, any, is, it, is there any piece of that that works into this equation? With your family, with the family name, you've, see, you've kind of seen it play out. Does it seem like a more of a realistic goal? Because even as a Canadian, like, all the ball players are out there. It's still yep. a small, small percentage that
1: actually make it to the CFL. Did it seem more realistic? I didn't ever think of it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate to have my dad there as an asset and a resource. Yeah. If I asked. Yep. And I had to ask. So when I was going getting ready for grade 12, I started asking my dad about training programs and what I should be doing. Mm. And there was a small group of us in our high school that was taking football seriously. <laughs> that summer, we started actually, and my my uh, girlfriend at the time, who played for the the high school team, soccer team, uh, we started doing sprint training. And I remember him writing programs out based off of VHS tapes from Michigan State University track and field programs. And that became the foundation for really starting to build the build on the base. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel very fortunate, and I won the genetic lottery. My dad played professional football. My mom is 5'11 and played basketball. Her brother played in the NHL. My dad's dad was the uh, s- the second or the third at the Marquette University 4x1 track relay team. It was deep. It's deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got lucky, and... I was able to put hard work behind that, which allowed me to then develop further and further into a better football player. Hmm. The goal, the first goal was to go play in the NCAA. That's what I wanted to do. And I was getting interest. And uh, I had a, I still have it. My dad actually gave it to me. He found it and gave it to me recently, probably like a year ago. But all of the letters of interest cool. that, I, that I was getting from schools. Where were they coming from? Um, all over. But you could tell which ones are like just you know, yep. pumping them out. Yep. And some of them were more thoughtful. Got some really thoughtful ones from Buffalo, Wake Forest. Got a handwritten letter from Notre Dame, Illinois. Uh, those were kind of like the the bigger ones. Yeah.
0: They caught they were the like, cool Yeah.
1: And I went down to Wake Forest and went through um also a program that they in line with a few of my high school friends so went down for a visit and participated in the summer camp. And funny enough, Jim Caldwell was the head coach at the time at Wake Forest. Mm. And Jamie Breezy was the offensive coordinator who went later on to be the offensive coordinator for the Hamilton Tirecats when I was playing there. So small world. No way, and he's, Yeah, he's got some cool stories of remembering me at that camp and mm-hmm. what was going on there. That's <laughs> so cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that dream didn't happen. Uh, every, any real conversation, it was come down, redshirt, become a safety or a linebacker. And I was like, I'm a running back. Mm. It's the only thing I've ever done. It's the only thing I want to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the interest in Canada was strong um, and had real interest from Western, St. Mary's, UBC, and McMaster. And Greg Marshall was the head coach at McMaster. He came through Western and was a hard-nosed coach that really wanted to take a program that was struggling and put him on top. And he also played in the CFL just yeah. after my dad had played.
0: What was, I, I I feel like I remember that name for some reason.
1: Yeah, there was two of them too. There's uh, Greg and Blake is his older brother who also mm. played. Mm. But what I really liked about um, when I met with Greg on my recruiting trip and, and Coach Kavaya, who was the recruiter and special teams coach, they were just very honest with me. It's... We had at Mac at that time, um, Ben Chaplin, the quarterback, had just won the Heck Crichton two years. Not the year that I was being recruited, the year before that. Mm-hmm. The year that I was being recruited, Koju was the running back and had just won the Heck Crichton. And the Heck Crichton is the essentially the Heisman of yep. Canadian college football. And they had a, the 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 shortest shared running back and slot back was Kyle Pierre, who is a you know, um uh an OUA all-star as well. So we have a Canada all-star, we have an OUA star in the backfield and that's where I decided to go. Uh, Based on what? Um, seeing an
0: opportunity to learn yeah. and the coach like his, yeah. his thought process?
1: He said, I'm not going to start like I would have potentially somewhere else yep. as a freshman, but you're going to come and you're going to learn and you're going to return kicks and you are going to carry the ball. Okay. Hmm. Sign me up. And it was by far the best decision that I had made because I came into university at 200 pounds, like six foot three, 200 pounds, just starting to develop mm-hmm. with real green still. And I carried the ball for a couple of years and then I got my start in year three and then ran with it. It, was and on. it didn't stop. Hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: when you get to university... Is it still in the back of your mind, like you said earlier about your degrees? <laughs> your degree, yeah. You're like I'm never going to use a thing. Yeah. Did you know when you got there that you know you had to go through the motions, get get your schooling taken care of, get something, mm-hmm. but you knew like in the forefront of your mind was like I'm going pro, like I'm going to do this.
1: I wasn't. It wasn't like Booby Miles' confidence from Friday Night Lights, where it's like <laughs> it was a sign, sealed, delivered, yeah, yeah. going to the NFL. <laughs> but, but it was, it was, it was the goal that was in front of me. Mm. And I was determined enough to make sure that I was gonna give myself the best chance to 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 accomplish that. So you're
0: you're making decisions with that goal in mind.
1: Yes. So I I lighten my course load. Yep. Especially in the first uh um half of the year because of football. Yep. You know, you're on the football field at if I remember correctly, you're getting into the locker room around four and you're not done till about nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to take as much burden off me. And I was never a great student either. Like just, I was a C, B student. Yep. I had to work extra hard in my senior year to get the grades to go to Mac. Mm-hmm. If I went to, I didn't get into the KIN program at Western. So they offered me to go through King's College to do KIN and then I could backdoor and still play for Western. Yep. And that didn't interest me. So I went social sciences and first year kind of just Generic, took a bunch of different stuff, Yep. Uh, went through, decided on anthropology as a major because it was interesting and found it wasn't as interesting as I thought it was going to be. So then I switched over to geography. Uh, I didn't complete my degree by the time I left university in 2005. Uh, so I completed my degree while I was playing with the tie cats. I had I know. Five, five or six uh, courses or not courses, but, uh, credits that I needed to earn. Mm. So I was, yeah. So uh, you
0: left, you left university
1: early, ter- early. Yep. Yeah, so when yeah. you're like, f- I've, I played four years, so I didn't use my five years of eligibility. I left mm. a year early. Mm. So I entered in the CFL and NFL draft in 2005. Uh, I didn't get invited to the combine. That was one of my goals. I did get invited. So, so I guess in my senior year, um, The goal for me was always to win a national championships with my team. I never really chased individual Mm -hmm. titles, records, any of that shit. Never really motivated me. Um, I wanted to win a Vanier Cup with the the guys that I played with because they were my brothers. And when we did well on the offense, it was always a we. It was our O-line and Mm -hmm. myself Mm -hmm. and... I would not have had the success that I had if I had a different O-line. That's 100% for sure. Mm -hmm. So we had a tremendous senior year. Uh, We had a really good junior year. We had a tremendous senior year as as an offensive attack. (laughs) Uh, We fell short of advancing to the Vanier, uh, but there was enough interest and I had proven myself on the field enough that I had gained a lot of attention from scouts. So you had some stats. Yes, uh, and I'm not going to be the one. I know I still have one for sure, maybe two. Um, most, I think I, I'm in the one and two spot for most rushing yards in a season. And this next person behind me is a couple hundred yards behind me. Mm-hmm. I can't remember to you be had, honest with You had me. a year. I had a year, I had a couple of big years because it was me and the me. And the cool thing was my, <laughs> I actually beat one of my dad's records from college too. So <laughs> Thank
0: you. Yeah. <laughs> or
1: tied it. But he kicked in college.
0: No way. So he
1: had, he had, he was the all time points leader yeah. in the CIS for a long time because he was running the ball yep. and kicking the extra points.
0: <laughs> just double dip, which is cheating,
1: in my opinion. No, it's, uh, it, we, yeah, we had a lot of fun at MAC. We had a lot of fun winning a lot of football games. And I got invited to the East West Shrine Bowl, which two Canadians get invited every year. To go down and play in an NCAA all star game. And that was my first opportunity. And I went down with a chip on my shoulder because I wanted to play in the NCAA. Yeah. And I wanted to show these guys that I could play. Yeah. I remember reading an article by an ESPN writer saying that I didn't belong there. What year was this? This was in 2004 or five. Okay. And that must have just it just drove me nuts because it was just practice. And i worked hard in practice but i always had the ability to flip a different switch in a game Mm -hmm. always it just i don't know what it is but when it comes to game time it's a i'm a different human being Mm -hmm. and game time came and i did what i did and i led our team in rushing yards and i got in i was on the west team yes and i was the one of the all-star nominations um it was a great cohort i was the the opposing running back, was um, Brandon Jacobs, who played in for the Giants, and oh, yeah. he's like six five, that monster, that monster, monster guy. And it's funny, yeah. <laughs> in intakes, we're doing a thing measuring hands. He's like, "Hey, what's going on? What's your name, Jesse? What's your name? what position? Running back." Uh, and he looks at me. and goes, "Damn, you a big running back." I'm like, "Huh? <laughs> looking, I'm looking you're up at I'm him. At I'm six three. I'm one. <laughs> huh?"
0: <laughs> So, so to go down there and have that kind of performance. It was,
1: um, it felt great. Yeah. And there was some people down there, um, are the president of our university who was a massive football fan at the time and a big supporter of the football program flew down on his own dime with his wife to watch that game, which was pretty cool. Yeah. I had my family down there. Hmm. Uh, I met some really, really cool people down there. My quarter, my quarterback, so they break it up into quarters, right? You get to play a quarter essentially. Okay. Four running backs, four quarterbacks. Everybody gets one quarter. Yep. My quarterback was um, Ryan Fitzpatrick. No way. Yeah. So, Crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it, uh, which is really cool then to see him and what he did. Yeah. And he was just a, a wonderful guy. Hmm. And then I met some people that I didn't like so much down there too. Yeah, yeah. It's all sorts. <laughs> all sorts of people. Hmm. And that's when my agent uh, started to let me know, okay, two things, a lot of interesting chatter. Um, I'm lobbying to get you into the senior bowl now, which is an American only, it's the big all-star game for college. And I was put into the backup position. So I was fifth or sixth on a, essentially if somebody pulls out or gets sick, I was going to the senior bowl. And how do we get you into the combine? So senior bowl didn't happen, combine didn't happen. So then I we started planning out. Well, we have to do a pro day, which is essentially the combine in your own backyard. Right. And scouts come to you. Yep. So I went to Toronto in Vaughan. There's an indoor facility in Vaughan, and seven or eight scouts were there, which was cool. Carolina, Seattle, Indy, <laughs> San Diego. Green Bay um, had a few of my teammates there for support which is amazing yeah. yeah and we' were still like again my best friends and had a great day matched went toe to toe for uh with who was the who was the running backs that were they were both from Auburn Cadillac Williams and Ronnie Brown so Ronnie Brown was the best running back in the NCAA that year and I was able to go toe to toe from a stats perspective. Yep. He, he beat me in bench press by a couple reps, Yeah. but I got him in forty um, shuttle. No way! Uh, and I think we had to tie it in the vert, uh, if I remember correctly. But I'll have so to look were, those up. You were, I can move for a big guy. Yeah,
0: yeah, because yeah. <laughs> those are, yeah, cause yeah. It's, uh, and and to keep up with like the best in the country.
1: Yeah, it's it's way different. It's. Yeah. It's, it's, it was, yeah. Anyway. So it's, uh, yeah, it was a wild experience. Yeah.
0: So what happens after you kind of, yeah, you like, you go through that process.
1: Then it's draft day. Yep. And I sat in my parents' basement and watched the entire draft both days and just hoping that I was going to get a call throughout and mm-hmm. didn't get drafted. B- bothered me actually. Yeah. I, that, that bothered me. Cause you thought you had. thought I'd done enough. You'd earned your spot. I'd earned, I'd earned, i put enough out there yep. to raise enough awareness saying this kid is draftable. Yep. Um, especially when, I can't even remember his name now, but he was a very good college running back from Ohio State, Ohio State University who ended up getting arrested on gun charges the draft year and he still got drafted. Still good, yeah. Uh, And that bothered me too. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as soon as the draft ended, literally as soon as the draft ended, the phone started ringing because you can still sign as a free agent. Mm. So I got offers from Indy and Seattle and I chose Seattle. And then was down there the following week uh, or something along those lines. I can't remember the time difference, but either way, when I was flying down to Seattle to meet the team and to go through uh, some mini camps, uh, I got drafted by the Tiger catch in the CFL draft uh, in the sixth pick of the first round. Awesome. High. High. Hi. Yep. By Greg Marshall, who my college coach was. <laughs> and he, he, the year I left is he got the head coaching job with the Tiger cats. <laughs> so he knew me well enough to mm-hmm. take, take a shot on me. Yep. Uh, Which is a risk, right? You,
0: yeah. You go into the NFL, him still like taking a high chance on you. Yep. Definitely. He knew what he's, what he's risking.
1: Yeah, and I never really thought about it from his perspective, but he's given up potential. I mean, yeah, or maybe he didn't think I was going to make it. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> <a> maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe was not
1: as risky as thought? But either way, yeah, training camp was a wild experience. I was a, I realized very quickly that I was a camp body. I was mm-hmm. there to offer relief. Yep, and maybe, maybe if I did something miraculous, I was going to stick around. Mm-hmm. You knew right away, not right away. Uh, but it's it, it became more aware as we got deeper and deeper into camp. So, mm. got released, went back to the Ticats, finished that year, played football again, had a ton of confidence, got a Eastern Rookie of the Year All Star nod, uh, or not All Star, Eastern uh, Rookie of the Year nod, um, and then signed with the Redskins, and went down and was just a completely different football player. I was there. I had, I had some more professional reps under my belt. Yep. I went. I was down there the whole off season training with the guys, hmm. uh, which made a big difference. What is that, um,
0: dude? I know nothing about it. Obviously, I have no experience in this realm. No, it's okay. But like, the game, the Canadian athletes. Mm-hmm. There's some studs. There's totally. amazing athletes. You go down in the states, and mm-hmm. there's just those those types of people. But just way there's a lot more, more of, them. of them. Yep, and it, it, everyone's kind of. Everyone's capable. There's just so much. There's many of them down there. Yes. And that just like, so for you to stand out, it's just that much harder. Do they care about Canadian? Like, is there, does it matter where you're from?
1: I think you need to have somebody in your corner Mm. or you don't stand a chance. And I did have a couple people in my corner in Washington, which definitely helped. Yep. And it also allowed me just a little more freedom just to play football. Yep. And get after it. Yep. And I made impressions. It was great. I was receiving feedback constantly, and it's the moment you stop receiving feedback is also when it becomes dangerous mm. because that's usually mean they're not they're yeah. they're not going to invest in you anymore. Yeah. Al Saunders was the offensive coordinator, and it was after one of the. This is actually a really exciting moment. You come in, you get taped up, you get your shorts on, you get your shirt on, you go up to the main room for sort of morning. Head coach Gibbs comes in, says a few words, breaks off into offensive defense. And normally, Coach Saunders would play a couple clips from the previous offensive uh, session yep. to highlight. And I was on that. No way. Doing and something good. Doing something good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> just to clarify. And, and that was, I mean, that was just enough validation for me to yeah. be like, keep going. Yeah. Just keep going. Mm. And that's what I continue to do and just continue to press. Uh, I sprained my ankle, had a couple weeks out because of that, unfortunately, and missed a uh, preseason game, but got to play preseason against the Baltimore Ravens and scored a touchdown in our scrimmage, played against the Jets, um, and had some good good yards there. Clinton Portis was their starting running back. He ended up getting hurt, and they didn't know if he was going to start the season. Then it was Liddell Betts was the backup, and then me and Rock Cartwright, we're kind of rock had been around the NFL for a while. He was a great special teams guy, really good team guy. Mm-hmm. Uh and then they brought in TJ Duckett. And TJ is a big running back. He was in Atlanta, I believe the year before that. Yeah. Anyway, because of that, I got bumped out. Mm-hmm. So in week 1 of the regular season, day 1, I got cut. So it uh it was unfortunate. And TJ sat on the bench that year because Clinton was fine, and mm. they went on to play that season. So mm. then back to back to Hamilton. Yep. And I was like, you know, fuck this. I'm going to play football. Yep. So I around. Yep. And finished that season out uh, and had a good season. And then started the next season off, gangbusters, great games not winning a lot of games, but we were putting on some pretty pretty good numbers. And then three-quarters of the way through that season, I'd blown my shoulder out for the first time. That was like my worst, first real big football injury. Hmm. And then it was just a snowball from there. Just Tried to come back, maybe came back too soon, started off the year great again, was on pace for a 2,000-yard season, and blew it out again. And then by that time, I'm like, okay, Hamilton four years, time for a break. Yep. They were obviously... Unsure about my ability to stay healthy. I was unsure about my uh, mental ability to live in the area that I grew up and be able to go and do what I do. So time for a change. Mm-hmm. That's when Bobsleigh called me. Hmm. And it was in 2009, uh, getting getting ready to go into the 2010 offseason. And they invited me out to a training camp with a couple other athletes, uh, one of which was a, another CFL player, Chad Rempel. One which, one of which was a, a track and field hundred meter sprinter, Neville Wright, and Nathan Cross, who was a former bobsledder who was coming back. And hmm. It was a bit of an ID camp. Did and you have
0: any aspirations? Any like was this anywhere in your in your psyche of like no Olympics? No, hmm.
1: never thought it would be football. I had won the BLG award in two thousand and five, which was the university outstanding athlete award, and I was up against a couple volleyball players, a basketball player, um, and guys that were going to go represent Canada. And I remember saying in my speech, I'm envious because I am truly a passionate Canadian. I'm very patriotic towards our country. And I I said that in my acceptance speech. I'll never get the feeling to represent my country playing football. (laughs) And I'm so proud to be in the room with these people. Um, Unless I switch sports. (laughs) (laughs) So I fell in love with the opportunity and the sport very quickly. Yeah. Uh, the bobsleigh team was at world championships in Lake Placid when we were having our ID camp. And then because it was a home Olympics after world champs, everybody went to Whistler. Home, tra- home field advantage, you're trying to get as many runs as you can down that track. Mm-hmm. And that's the advantage of hosting an Olympics in certain sports is you get those opportunities. Yep. So uh, we then went to Whistler after, after that, and we got to actually slide for the first time. And I was sliding with Pierre Luters and uh, I fell in love with the sport. And he was a great mentor because him and I think very similarly in regards to competition.
0: Like from the outside, you hear about Pierre Luters Mm -hmm.
1: and how like... I did a project on him when I was in grade eight. No way. Yeah. No way. Well, Uh, he was the guy. And just like... Laser focused. And
0: and somewhat frightening and could
1: like... Yeah, yeah. That's the exterior. Inside he's a teddy bear. Yeah, Uh, And it really, you know again, very proud dad and his girls are coming up in the speed skating scene and are kicking some serious butt. Hmm. Uh, and his wife was a very good track cyclist. Like Mm -hmm. again, good pedigree. Mm -hmm. Um, so
0: go back to that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Grade eight. I, 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 I I remember doing a a project in grade eight. I don't know if I have it anywhere anymore, but yeah, it was on bobsledding and, and Pierre was there for that. So,
0: and just Dude, of all the things. Of all, all the things. things in grade eight and all the people and all the sports.
1: It would, it would have fallen on in a winter Olympic cycle. Because yeah. you know how schools generally, like they'll focus yep. their curriculum around something like that mm-hmm. over those two weeks. So. And my dad always said he's thought I would be a good bobsledder. Um, and it was actually my dad. I said no originally when they called, Matt Handel. Because you weren't ready or no, you just weren't interested? I was just too focused on... I, I I was so caught up in getting healthy yep. and just playing football. Like I knew I could play football yep. and my dad kicked me in the ass and said, it's two weeks. You're going to go train with some of the best athletes in the world, get exposed to a different sport. This is probably very good for you. Go do it. So I did it and he was right. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, three Olympics later and that's it. <laughs> but yeah, it's, It was, uh, so I blew my shoulder out in Edmonton, Yep, which takes us back to this point in time where we are driving back and forth between Edmonton and Calgary, spending as much time I can with a push coach in Calgary, going over film, going over the details of how to become a great bobsleigh crewman because I didn't have much time Yep, and I had my arm in a sling. So I was doing a lot of single leg work, a lot of leg press Mm -hmm. as much as I possibly could when I was back in Edmonton because I was still part of the team and I was going to meetings every day and... When they'd be on the road i'd be in calgary hmm. and then i'd be back for uh therapy and treatment and all that jazz and hmm. season wraps up uh and i get on a plane and i fly to italy no way yeah healthy healthy enough to start sliding and competing hmm. yeah so i had like three races to try to make a an olympic team and it happened it happened yeah i marched in 2010 and it was, uh, my only regret was that I didn't start the sport sooner to really appreciate the buildup for what a home games means to you. Because mm. after competing in Russia and Sochi after that. Yeah. <sighs> nothing. I am close. I am so disappointed in the city's ability to understand the impact a games could have had for 2026. Dude. 88. like It's unfortunately because of this. Yep. The people that were on the no train, mm-hmm. there was people uh, could spread whatever information they wanted yep. to without, you know, any sort of accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were people involved that should have removed themselves because of their how they're viewed within the Calgary community. Yep. It didn't do it any favors, mm-hmm. but we Missed. fucked up. Yep, big miss. And I'm trying not to swear, but no, you can have at her <laughs> with the changes that are happening at the IOC level with the rules that are being put in place about current infrastructure and less need of spending resources, with the ability to uh, spread outside of a city and potentially yep. utilize other resources, like... with the, the, the amount of money that was going to come into the IOC to support the facilities that have been around since 88 that need revitalization, mm-hmm. that's now on taxpayers. Yep, We fucked up. Yep, I uh, agree, man.
0: It, like it's um and I don't follow a lot of politics or anything but it's amazing that uh, how short-sighted some people can be like it's and, easy to say no yeah there's no risk in like
1: yeah I remember being a part of BidCo. I was passionate about it and I mean, wasn't actively involved but I was a. I I volunteered to go speak about the impact that it could have and what it had done for me and, and my family. My my wife is an Olympic bobsledder as well. Mm-hmm. And she was actually working for Bidco. Hmm. Uh, and I remember getting to the point of, 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 and going to speak at businesses like law firms and public venues and just hearing the same questions coming up about taxes or about just stuff that didn't make any sense to me. And then I just started saying finally, listen, I'll tell you what. I'm gonna make you eleven thousand dollars in two weeks, okay? And this is how we're gonna do it. You're gonna vote yes, and then you're gonna come for me, and we're gonna set you up on an Airbnb platform, and you can leave and rent your place out for two weeks. And when you come back, and you'll have your vacation paid for and a little extra money in the pocket, you'll have a better city to live in as well. Can we agree on that? And people are just kind of like, okay, <laughs> poking the bear, okay. <laughs> but it just it, again, it's you know, yeah. people are well, the taxes are go up. What's happened since? <laughs> <laughs> Dude,
0: it's going to happen. Yeah. That um, three Olympics. Yeah. That feeling of like, you know, when you're in that room saying, wow, you guys are really special. And then here you are doing it three times.
1: Mm-hmm. Is it, was it all of it, everything that you imagined it was going to be? Uh, if I walked away with a medal, it would have been more so for mm-hmm. sure. Like I went to Olympics to win, Olympics, to win a medal, medal, not just to go to participate. Yep. Uh, so I walked away feeling... Proud of my accomplishments and proud of how I was as a teammate, uh, but disappointed that I didn't accomplish my goal. It's a Mm -hmm. team sport too. I have to remember that. And we had some good opportunities and didn't capitalize or the competition was better that day. That's just really what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And I have no regrets on how I prepared. And I think the guys that I slid with, uh, I'm very close with most of them and we you know we care about each other we love each other we trust each other mm-hmm. and we worked hard to 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 try to accomplish a really big goal mm-hmm. and we're very proud of the effort that we put into it for sure
0: mm-hmm. how do you um chasing a great cup mm-hmm. chasing a gold medal mm-hmm. like one has a giant team mm-hmm. behind you in front of you with you and mm-hmm. then the bobsled group is obviously smaller is it similar like does it take the same dedication, focus? Is it like, are there similarities to that chase or are hmm. they like different animals?
1: Different animals. Yeah. Different animals. Bobsleigh is a really interesting sport too because of the nature of what you have to do physically. Football, it's a bunch of dogs out there running around. You're going to beat the crap out of each other and you're going to lick your wounds for a day and then you're going to get back to it and do it again. Mm-hmm. Bobsleigh, it's like you're trying to optimize your performance l- week over week. Yeah. So you're peaking at the right time. Yeah. So you're trying to go for, you're trying to chase this peak performance at a certain period of time versus football, which is optimal performance. Yeah. You want to optimally perform well throughout your entire season and maintain your health and maintain your strength and speed. So you, you, you can't, you're never really trying to peak. Yeah. Uh, so you have to take different approaches to it. Mm. Uh, because of that, the training is quite different. So you go really, really hard and you're trying to, again, like I, I trained thousands of hours oh. to improve by hundreds of a second mm-hmm. uh, versus football. It's not measured like that. It's just measured by output, yeah. constant yeah. output. Uh, so it's, it's different from those types of um, perspectives, but also ego. Ego becomes a big part of it. It's sometimes when you push slow, you can't really see why you push slow. So it's, you have to have really, really good self-awareness where it's like, oh, my timing was off. But then ego comes into play as well. It's like, well, it wasn't me. If nobody, if nothing is identifiable on the mm-hmm, screen, mm-hmm. it's easy for big egos to go, "Well, it was probably you." Well, it was you. But the good, really good teams that I slid with, it was, who cares who it was? Yeah. Let's just be better for the next one. Yeah. Or somebody being like, "Guys, I messed up my timing, or I went, or I I jumped the gun, or whatever it is." Yeah. Um, versus football, the tape doesn't lie. You drop a ball. <laughs> You drop a ball, you miss a block, you missed a block. Mm-hmm. Like you can't escape from it. So the accountability is like, I don't care what your excuse is, that's on you. Mm-hmm. So it's the dynamic of the interaction on how to accomplish those goals can sometimes be interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it yeah just
0: that the bobsleigh world just seems like it's, it's just looks so intense. It yeah. just looks like it's just like these. Just these like wild people, mm-hmm. and like you said, to the tenth of a second—they're like these micro moments.
1: It is because it's fifty meters of everything you have in the yep. tank, and then the pilot takes over, and you hope he has a smooth run. Yep. And then you get back up to the top, and you do it again. But it is <laughs> all out. Yep. You go ballistic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's awesome. It's such a rush. <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> much fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I, I cannot imagine. It's so much fun. And fits with um, you know, when you said you're a different human on game day. Yeah. That mentality to
1: bobsled. Oh, it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. Just like click. Click the switch. Yeah Here we go and then shut her down and try to calm everything down after <laughs> that. But yeah, it's like a like a a, a Jekyll and Hyde type yeah. deal for sure. Um can you get into the out what
0: that looks like? We touched on it earlier, but I told you I I I'm very interested in these conversations about the when an athlete has to decide to retire and move mm-hmm. on or get forced into it, what, like what's actually, what's actually happening?
1: Uh, <clears throat> I can only communicate kind of my experience, um, but I just put myself out there to see what opportunities existed. I had met a mentor in 2013 at one of our fundraising events, and uh, which is, has now become just a very, very wonderful friendship. Um, but he gave me the opportunity to come in to work uh, at his uh, startup, essentially um, a small private equity shop in Calgary, to understand the finance side of um, private private uh, investing in in mid small mid sized energy service companies. Hmm. So learned a ton. Small team. An intre-
0: when he when this opportunity popped up. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Did it feel like there was like a
1: I I, I had a connection with uh, chad uh, because you know, at the time he had a very young family and it was literally his kids were playing in a bobsled that we had a and he was like oh is this okay i was like yeah <laughs> kick the crap out of it but just uh, his demeanor and we got to talking and he then recognized me from football and kind of started having coffees once a month mm-hmm. you know and then he filled me in on what he was doing with our uh, company resource and i wanted to be a part of it i wanted to learn I just wanted to be a sponge. Hmm. He quickly recognized some of my strengths and some yep. of my weaknesses and was able to slot me into a position to lean more into the strengths while incrementally getting better at some of the weaknesses. Yep. And we did that for 5 years. Um the companies that we are working with are still doing very well, which is exciting. But because yep. it was energy services, we weren't going to our investors were going to pull back on putting more money in it and that was really where my focus was was finding the next opportunity that we were going to invest in. So, mm. uh, I learned a lot over those five years and again, he's a dear friend and still spend a lot of time together. Uh, but with that change, uh, I met Jeff Adamson, who, uh, we met through the Calgary sports Institute cause he was a former national team wrestler and he was the co-founder of skip the dishes mm. and they had sold. And we're starting a new venture, Neo Financial, in Calgary. And there was nothing, what he, what he was trying to do, um, didn't really correlate with what I had been doing for the past few years. And, but he did say he's like, "Come be a part of the the sales team." This is now in 2018, mm-hmm. and we have our second kid coming. <laughs> And we're jumping into a startup. Uh, but it was one of those moments that just seemed, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I know with Helen and I sitting down to figure out, can we make this work? Okay. Um, how are we going to do that? we got to look at our budget. Uh, again, Helen is getting ready to give birth to our son, Rowan. So we uh, worked really hard together to, to, to make it work. And three and a half years later, you know, Neo is now mm-hmm. one of the fastest growing companies Monster. in Canada. Still a lot of work to do, yep. but surrounded by very, very smart, hardworking, passionate people. A founding, it's very rare you get a founding team that has a success that big and that stays together to take on a larger challenge. Mm. And that that also stuck to me. And then understanding who our backers were, when you have Peter Thiel in your corner, that helps in the financial technology space, and uh, a need for something better yep. than what currently exists. So, it, uh, I've been fortunate to work on a number of uh, projects and lead a number of teams at Neo in my my time there, and I'm really excited for what we are going to be doing in the future too.
0: The 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 team piece. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Obviously, it's like a direct. Your experience in a team and, and what what actually happens in the business world. Everything goes back to sport. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Everything hey, for me. Did, did you? So you, when you decide that you're going to retire in mm-hmm. the transition, yeah. were you confident? Were you like, okay, I can. I'm ready to go. This new opportunity seems interesting. And it was it. Uh, what that feel like? I don't want to. I want to put. I don't want to put any words in your mouth. From resource to Neil, just to like no, from like. Retiring from oh, the Olympics from, to from the, the first yeah. one.
1: I knew I was done. And you, so you were. I, I was contemplating retiring after 2014. Mm. And I started working with Chad and Resource in 2014. 13. And, but I had a five-year plan and it included a, a slight deviation at that three-year mark, two-year, at that two-year mark to make a decision on whether I was going to go back to compete again or not. Mm. And I got to that two-year mark and I was still really hungry. Mm. So I and it, and this was this is something that we had built out together. So it, it's not like I yep. surprised it on him. And if I was going to go that route, then I would dial back my work so I can focus on my training. But I was still going to work, yep. and I could still handle certain uh, projects when I was on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're on the road traveling in Europe and competing, there's a lot of downtime. So if, and and to, and because it's not like it's manual labor, I can sit in my hotel room. And do some work and do some research and connect with people and, you know, send some proposals over and things like that. Take some effort though. Effort, but also a positive distraction Mm. that keeps my mind focused uh, and not necessarily falling into the Olympic traps. Olympic year traps are the worst and they come up everywhere. Everywhere. People are more tense. Mm. People are more concerned. It's their last shot at maybe winning a medal or even making a game. So. Having that balance, having that distraction, mm. uh, helped keep me focused mm. for sure. So looking back on it, if
0: we, when you decide to retire mm-hmm. to where your career is right now, mm-hmm. pretty um, it's not seamless. It's 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 built on relationships, connections, and just like being that being put in a right scenario that where you can excel. You don't have a degree in any of this. Like it's just no. like you no. just.
1: Sorry, I cut you off. Yeah. No, no, but yeah. it's just, could you have seen this? No. Mm-hmm. I've become very, very interested in uh, how, I've become very interested in two areas of people in business. Culture, uh, and the culture of more, more so the culture of, of winning teams and successful teams. And there's so many resources out there that dive deep into what makes a great team and what makes a great teams successful, mm-hmm. and to continue to be successful. Uh, but then the attributes of those people as well. Not the skill sets, the attributes. And this is something that is you know over the past year I've learned more and more about and um, reading Rich Deviney's book, Attrib- the attributes. Who's um, he was a Navy SEALs officer yep. who essentially was tasked to figure out why are we not getting the right people in here, and they. And he quickly realized, well, you're looking at it from skills, but we need to be looking at it from attributes and what attributes are, they can be developed, but they're more ingrained in us, like your grittiness or your resiliency. Mm Um, one of the stories that he tells is this young seal recruit, uh, shows up and it's just, all you have to do is just to show competency in the water. You got to swim 25 meters there, 25 meters back. He's like, okay, and he hops in the pool, sinks right to the bottom, marches his way there, marches his way back, comes up, and um, the officers are like, you didn't swim. He goes, I don't know how to swim. He goes, and the officers go, we can teach you how to swim, just go <laughs> over there. But he had what they, they needed, mm-hmm. which was that courage to take, go into something that this person could not do at all. Uh, to accomplish what should be a simple task for a lot of people yep. and figure a way out how to do it. So he was resourceful enough, he had enough courage mm-hmm. uh, to, and to, to overcome a fear to do something like that. And it's something that I've taken into consideration when I am hiring people now too. I want to know about more about the attributes, especially in the environment that we're in with Neo, which is a high-paced startup community where we are trying to do something very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. You need to have a certain type of person there with you to accomplish certain goals. And yeah. it doesn't mean that Neo is not going to be um, you know, it's just, you know, you you'll people will talk about, oh, it was really hard. Yeah, it's we're doing hard things have always been hard and they're always going to be hard. Mm-hmm. And then but it's going to get easier and it's going to change over time. And what NEO is two to three years from now is not what it is now. Yeah. And ten years from now is not what it is two years from now. Like yeah. it's just it's it's going to evolve. Yeah. Uh which again goes back to that culture standpoint, like the type of culture you need to do something like mm-hmm. that. It's very specific. where did this interest come from? You know, it makes, it makes so much sense
0: based on your background, what you, what you experienced, but all of a sudden you have some clarity around this. Mm-hmm. What was
1: the click? Cause I've always lost. Right. I've never won anything.
0: That's interesting.
1: I've never won the goal. I've never accomplished the goal, which was always been a team-based goal. Never won the Vanier, never won a, never won a, a, a Grey Cup, never won an Olympic medal. I have a couple of world championships medals and a couple of crystal globes, but it's not what you're necessarily, I can say crystal globe in this community, people are not gonna know what the hell that means. Hmm. Um, so my goals were like Great Cup, Vanier, yep. um, sorry, oh, yeah. and, uh, and uh, Olympics. So then understanding, then you ha- it's hard not to reflect. Uh, and that's really where you start to see more and more, what does the good teams do? What do you, what did the Eskimos do in the 80s? Like going into their fifth for their fifth going into the year where they went trying to win their fifth Great Cup in a row. They went 0 and 8. And they turned it around and won the Great Cup that year. Hmm. How does the New England Patriots do what they did with during their run? Mm-hmm. What makes the Navy Seals the most efficient high-performing spec-op teams on the planet? Mm-hmm. So I look? wanted to. I wanted to learn because I wasn't a part of them. So you're going looking. <laughs> I went looking. Hmm. It's hmm. and I find it very, very interesting. And it's, you know, one of those things that I'll probably continue to learn and read about. Yeah. And it's not. And it's not a one. And what I really like about it, it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. It's you know, the what I did at the bobsleigh team wouldn't necessarily work with a football team. Mm-hmm. What we did with Neo wouldn't necessarily work with a, um, you know, a community based not for profit startup, Yep. but you have to figure out what that is to ensure that it is the foundation at which you're operating off of mm-hmm. to be successful.
0: Are you putting like, um, are you actually building like a blueprint around this idea? Is it, or is it, or is it loose ideas in your head that when you're in situations you can like draw on some sort of knowledge?
1: When when I was running uh, teams at NEO, I tried to create a culture within our organization for our teams mm-hmm. based off of what we were trying to accomplish. And the goal was to hopefully have that spread amongst other people. And I think there's certain things that adapt, but again, in a high pace environment where things are constantly changing, I mean, you go from... In three years, you go from 30 people to 800 people. Mm -hmm. It's hard to put a fence around it, Mm -hmm. and you know through the growth we have seen changes that um, make sense for what we are trying to accomplish to the types of people and some of the you know we all make mistakes and and some of the mistakes I've made around how we should be looking at this. So blueprint, uh, yes, in practice. Yes, in a, at a, in a smaller degree, not mm. at that large degree. Neo is actually going through a really big culture exercise right now, which is very fun to watch and mm-hmm. be a part of. Uh, and, and it is very aligned in where we're at as a company right now too. Mm. Because yes, we are a startup. Yes, we are at 800 people, but yes, we are still a startup. Mm-hmm. Those can be seem like contradictory um, talking points. Because generally... You think of startups, not 800 it's guys in a garage gals in a <laughs> yeah, garage, you know, yeah, figuring yeah. it out, yeah, but that's uh that's the pace at which we operate at
0: cool man. uh, this has been so cool. yeah thanks for having me. yeah, man, it's just like just listening to it all. it's just um you know, when you said that, I've never won anything. It's just like it's cr- it's crazy to think that, and then to actually understand why you're kind of on the
1: path you're on, that you're on right now is it's fascinating. Yeah, I'm a competitive person and I like competing and mm-hmm. um, I wouldn't say I'm chasing a win, but I, yeah. I, winning is certainly better than losing. I'll mm-hmm. tell you that.
0: Yeah, I <laughs> totally. Uh, I end the show with one question. Sure. When I say Calgary,
1: where's your head go? <sighs> Home now. Uh, How many years has it been? 13. And I can't imagine going back now that we have kids here. Yeah. I also think resilient too, and part and part because I was an athlete for most of the time during, if you want to call it the big boom heydays, when it was just a a wild party here and Mm -hmm. there was more money flowing through this place than a lot of places. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then having been here through the downturn, the big downturn of energy, um, the pandemic, Uh, the flood in 2013 Mm -hmm. which um, I actively was involved with different groups of trying to work together to help yep um so very it's a it's a resilient city for sure and it's home and I'm happy it's home
0: it's cool man yeah because you've been you could end it up anywhere yeah
1: totally uh thanks for your time thank you I really appreciate it um a lot of fun appreciate it thanks man